2: and undo something that you gaveled?
1: I believe I can. No, you cannot, particularly, Madam particularly President. Particularly when it that violates, was, it
2: was, particularly it was, it when it's reported and approved and gaveled. You cannot go back and undo that. That is a done deal, signed, sealed, and delivered.
1: When the item that is brought forward, the chairman recognizes that there was brought forth an error when it has not been properly noticed and it violates the Open Meetings Act, we absolutely. Uh, if you, Mr. Alderman Beale, please let me just finish and I'll let you respond. The chairman uh, indicated that she inadvertently went through an agenda that was not the correct agenda, that was not properly noticed, and as a consequence would violate the Open Meetings Act. She has come back and corrected the record, as I understand it, and asked that the first reading be stricken. That is entirely appropriate. The item was not in the jurisdiction of the committee.
0: That's no different than voting on something and say, oh, I didn't mean to vote on that and go back and change your vote after the gavel is gaveled. If it's our rules state that once something is gaveled and approved,
2: it is signed, sealed and delivered, regardless if it was a mistake or not.
1: So, so Alderman Deal, show me which rule says that, because that's not that's not correct. All right. Someone get a referee out here. We need a ref. <laughs> That's Alderman
3: Anthony Beale, Ninth Ward, dueling with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, That's from yesterday's show. Excellent uh, job done by the uh, legendary Dave Glowatz uh, picking up that clip.
1: Great debate. Is it signed, sealed, and delivered? Or is it another Stevie Wonder song? Today's show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union. That's not correct. Oh, yes, it is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Madam Mayor. (laughs) <laughs> Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky if you want to check out download uh, any other shows like the interview with Dave Glowatz over a thousand episodes for you to check out chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A V R A in victory S-K-Y that's not correct yes it is correct <laughs> It is Wednesday, January 5th, and this is The Ben Jorofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson makes his return, and I believe making his Ben Jorofsky Show debut, is that correct, Ben? That is correct. Lee Allen Jones. And now your host, making his... Ben Jarofsky show debut, I think. Correct? Mm, Negatory. Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky.
3: Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this COVID Classroom Wednesday, and here's why. Yesterday, as we were discussing the city council maneuvers uh, with the great Dave Glowatz, uh, the city, uh, there was great strife and turmoil in the city of Chicago between the Chicago Teachers Union. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot, it'll never end. Uh, Monroe Anderson has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Monroe Anderson has joined us. I love it when my guests show up early. And uh, folks, you know, you know, you know, I'm going to be on the Teachers Union side. People are going to go, oh, Ben, you're just on the Teachers Union side because they sponsor your show. <laughs> There's people out there, those cynics out there, oh, Ben. <laughs> I think Monroe Anderson may think that. But where Monroe Anderson is wrong on that point is the reason the teachers union finally got around and it took you long enough, guys, to sponsoring my show. I was before I was for the teachers union before many of these people in the teachers union were even teachers. So I'm just going to say that right now. My mother, may yeah. she rest in peace, yeah. probably yeah. a proud member of the Chicago Teachers Union. But this is ridiculous. Is I'm going to get Monroe Anderson's thoughts oh, on this one after I give mine. He may be He's a little more conservative, I, I am, when it comes to local issues. This is absolutely absurd. The city of Chicago right now has implemented all these rules about when you go into a bar or when you go to the United States or to watch my beloved Bulls, you got to show uh, a card that says you were vaccinated to get in there or that you passed a, a COVID test, that your latest test within 48 hours is negative. No such requirement is for a Chicago public school. None. So we're having this huge spike. We got Governor Pritzker. Governor Pritzker announcing, put off elective surgeries. Put off elective surgeries until later because the ICU units are filled up with COVID patients. Unvaccinated people, by and large, thank you very much, who got COVID and now are really sick. And now we're learning that this new strain, you get it uh, even if you are vaccinated, even if you have the booster so it's got people like Monroe Anderson, afraid to leave his home. People like me, I'm, I'm like half in and half out. And when it comes, yeah, when it comes to the public schools, the city's attitude is like, just shut up and get in that classroom. Don't worry about it. They like, they talk about, they've been negotiating with teachers for months about the What, why is the Chicago, what is it about Chicago that our city leaders have to reduce everything to like this really painful negotiation where they lock people in a room and there's like no consensus. It's like, well, we'll get back to you. And then they say one thing one day and it's something else another day. And meanwhile, a month goes by, they can't deliver. They say, oh, we're going to, we're going to send tests to uh, all the kids in Chicago. Let them take a COVID test over winter break. I don't know if you saw this. Here, how about this for confidence in your public schools? Uh, pictures in the Tribune, on the front page of the Tribune, of tests, of the COVID tests that are just like piling up on the sidewalk because nobody's collecting them. And now what they said, I think there's 150,000 tests they sent out and only 11,000 are usable. What a joke. If you're, if you're a teacher, why would you trust the leaders of the uh, Chicago public schools to look out for your health? So I don't blame the teachers one bit for saying, you know what? We're going to virtual uh, classrooms only until you guys get a handle on this. And then Lori was like, this is outrageous. Kids have to be in a classroom. Of course, duh. Kids are better off in a classroom. Nobody's arguing that they're not better off. Uh, they're better off virtual. Nobody argues that. But the reality is, is that the Chicago public schools have demonstrated that they're incapable of operating with any kind of health standards that would protect the teachers and Monroe Anderson will go. We'll talk about this a little bit because Monroe, you and I do agree on this that whereas uh, children perhaps are less vulnerable to uh, this current strain of COVID, teachers as adults certainly are not. So on one hand, Monroe, you got the mayor of the city of Chicago ordering people to uh, show their there are vaccination cards to get in bars because we don't want to spread this latest strain to uh, throughout, throughout the city. But, oh, just anybody going to public school, who cares if teachers get COVID? Anyway, I, I don't blame the teachers one bit. Let's see what Monroe Anderson. Monroe, do you agree with me on this point, or do you vehemently disagree with me? Go ahead.
2: I, I, I disagree with you about my being afraid to leave the house. I go out several times a week. <laughs> However, you are absolutely one hundred percent right on the teachers and the students the the uh, we need in class learning for the kids. They're not learning anything um online. They just aren't it's not it's not we, we have a master that um, when they first started, they said, "Well, we don't know what we're doing, but we will before it's over. Well. Theoretically, it's over, and they didn't learn anything. The kids didn't learn anything. The educators didn't learn anything. Nobody learned nothing. So then we get to the teachers. Many of them are almost as old as you've been. (laughs) (laughs) And therefore, they have to watch their health. And those younger teachers have parents that are almost as old as you, <laughs> you <know? laughs> they, have to, they, they, they sometimes um, meet with their parents for various things. They don't want to impact them. And so we have a, a complicated situation in that school, in-class learning is good for the students and not so good for the teachers. And um, there's no e- e- easy solution to that.
3: Well, there is no easy solution to that, but there are steps you could take. And the Chicago public schools have shown that have demonstrated time and time again, they're either incapable of taking those steps or they're not interested in taking those steps. And uh, that was on display, as I said, when we saw the pictures of the tests that they had set out piled high. And they were, Monroe, if you had.
2: Was that the school teachers or was that your post
3: office? No, that was that was the Chicago public schools not having a system set up. The, by the way, don't blame it on my beloved post office. Right. The, the picture was a UPS store. It was right. a store. They're, they're,
2: they're, they're about to fire your your friend, you and Trump's friend. who oh, uh, the <laughs> Hey,
3: man, that, that's a whole other story. Yeah. I, I submit to you to uh, quote the great Harold Washington. Uh, I submit to you that the Republicans have been plotting to destroy the post office forever. Right. And uh, and it's an outrage. Yes. We could do a whole show on the post office. And again, you could say, oh, Ben, you're biased because you used to work for the post office and your sister used to work for the post office and your father used to work for the." Yes, I have a bias there, too, for those two institutions, post office and Chicago teachers.
2: OK, so so so, so that's why you love the um, Chicago Democrats so much. Your family follows in the same tradition. I,
3: I got to tell you, I have this bizarre uh, love hate relationship with Chicago Democrats. Monroe. Oh, yeah, it's true. I am a, a case, a basket case. we by the way, we're gonna. Uh, we have Lee Allen Jones will be joining us uh, in a little while. Uh, this is um, he's a writer, as an activist. Uh, he's a, uh, a protege of Monroe Anderson, uh, and uh, we're gonna be talking Bobby Rush. He used to work for Bobby Rush, so we're gonna be talking a lot of Bobby Rush. The the situ- we're not the teachers uh, situation with the Chicago public schools just. Like grab my attention this morning when I was reading about it obsessively and talking about it on the phone. But uh, really, we're going to do the Bobby Rush deep dive. And when you said Chicago Democrats, it just made me think of Bobby Rush. So we'll take that deep dive uh, before we bring uh, Lee Allen uh, Jones in. And uh, he's already sending me texts. He wants to come in on the show. So might as well send him a, a link, Dennis. Uh, but before uh, we bring Lee Allen in, it is almost one full year. Tomorrow makes it one full Make Lee full
2: year. Allen wait his turn.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Make him wait. Make the <laughs> youngster wait. Uh, Monroe, it was one year ago I was looking uh, in your eyes, uh, the dismay and shock, uh, as you saw uh, Trumpsters overtaking the Capitol, uh, the insurrection in full force, uh, as they were trying to overturn the um, American democracy. They were trying to take an election that Joe Biden won uh, and uh, turn it over to Donald Trump. It was a coup, an unsuccessful one. Here we are a full year later. Can you believe a year has gone by? And I submit to you, Oh, I'm really feeling Harold Washington. I, I submit to you, <laughs> Uh, Monroe Anderson, nothing was learned. Uh, Trump is more powerful now than he was on January 6th. Uh, You told me, and I've dutifully watched Steve Kornacki's report on MSNBC, the poll, that a staggering, a staggering, what was it, 45% of Republicans uh, think that that, uh, the election was stolen for Donald Trump. I mean, you might as well just say... They believe that the sun rises uh, in the West and sinks in the East.
2: Well, there's a reason for that, Ben, that they watch Fox. And Fox has been giving them a steady diet of BS for the past year. I mean, you, yeah, what Fox has been telling them, although their anchors and chohos know better, they've been telling them that the election has been stolen, as, as Trump says. And so they believe that, and the only two brave Republicans to say it otherwise is Cheney and uh um, K- Kaczynski,
3: no, um, yeah, K- Kinzinger, Kinzinger, oh,
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> <Kingsinger>, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, uh it's not much better with independence. I watched the entire uh, report and I, I think he said 20% of independents, uh, believe Monroe that the election was, uh, stolen from Trump. They don't believe that Joe Biden legitimately won. That is so bizarre, which leads well, me to conclude. They're not really independents. Right. They're, they're, you know, they're,
2: they're, they're people because they are, um, they, they don't believe that God sent Trump or they don't believe that, um, Robert Kennedy is coming back to run with Trump. Mm-hmm. Then they think they're independent because they don't believe the most extreme things. Uh, but they, they they lean heavily towards Republicans. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, they're but they're too embarrassed to admit they're Republicans, which is a really strange phenomenon. Uh, I, I that's I actually believe that uh, people who call themselves libertarian is going to be interesting. Lee Allen Jones calls himself a libertarian, uh, but, but by and large, people who call themselves libertarian are just too embarrassed to admit they're really Republicans and they hate paying taxes. Because I say in most cases, I don't see anything libertarian about their view. Let's say an abortion rights or legalizing reefer or anything like that. Uh, it's a fraudulent movement. Uh, just take a look at Rand Paul uh, for a proof of that. All right. Trump is stronger than ever. You said that to me this uh, morning when we were talking, Monroe. Uh, a year after the attempted coup, do you still do you believe that Donald John Trump is stronger than he was uh, at this point in January 6th?
2: Among, among Republicans, yes. Um, not among the general public. I mean, if there was an election today between between Biden and Trump, and they couldn't steal it, then Biden would still win. Uh, but with his, his, his what, what the Republicans have done, they've become more radical than ever. What, they, what, they, what they're doing now is running for offices uh, in, in counties and states and uh, in key places. And so that they can control the vote. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we talk we, we talk a lot about gerrymandering and about voter suppression, but he or she who counts the vote decides the winner. Yeah. And so they're they're trying to get in positions where they're gonna be the vote counters so that they won't make the mistake they made last year.
3: Yeah. And do you think that the general population is aware of this, or is it only just political junkies like you and me who are following this?
2: No, they're aware. You know, Bannon, Bannon sent out an email to 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 all of them saying, "Run for run for these various strategic offices, so that we can control it next time." Mm-hmm. And you have some Republicans. Who are saying what normally is said in the quiet room out loud and that's okay we're going to steal it any kind of way we can
3: and what it, what I was getting at uh, yes I know Steve Bannon put the call out but I'm just wondering if your quintessential swing voter in Wisconsin that we're always so worried about or uh, in suburban Virginia is aware of this or even cares about this you, you follow what I'm saying yeah, or-
2: right now they may not care But but uh, they're aware, you know, even those 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 um, people who watch Fox, I mean, they 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 know that the fix is in, but they don't care. You know, they I mean, and this is stereotyping to some degree, but most of the Trump nuts, not all of them, but a lot of them, too many of them. Are white men who are failures, are who are just barely making it, and um, the only thing they had going for them was that they were better than black people and brown people. But uh, with things being so hard and difficult for him, it, it, it's not the case anymore.
3: Uh, Lee Allen Jones has joined us. Lee Allen Jones has joined We're going to bring him on in just a second, but I want to finish up with Monroe on this point. Maybe we we'll see what Lee Allen has to say. Uh, Monroe, we, we have been saying for weeks that this is a race. This uh, January 6th uh, investigation by Congress is a race to see, wow, <clears throat> whether... Um, They can get their uh, subpoenas in, they can get their testimony in, they can gather evidence before the Republicans take back control of Congress uh, in uh, the November midterms. Uh, And it's been pretty obvious to you and me that Donald Trump has ordered, has commanded uh, his allies and his aides not to cooperate, to take it to court, to challenge every subpoena uh, that is... uh, uh, level at them uh in order to drag it out and then once republicans take over uh the congress and they can kill this investigation, and I don't know what launch an investigation into Pau- Fauci or something like that.
2: No, they're going to launch it. Yeah, well, him too. But they're going to launch an investigation until twenty twenty to prove that the race was the the, the presidential race was in fact stolen. Yeah, okay. and they're going to impeach Biden. That's that's their plan. And they have said that some of them out loud. But that's the that's that's the program.
3: And do you think they'll succeed? Uh, No. So do you think that the the Democrats can wake America up uh, long enough to uh, forestall a Republican victory in Congress that will enable the Republicans to uh, carry out this attack against Biden and democracy?
2: Probably not. But uh, what is going to happen is that the, 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 um, the, the January 6th committee, for example, it's, it's, it's civil, it's not criminal, but once they they have the goods now they have the receipts they're going to give it up hand it over to the department of justice yeah and um garland Mary Garland is going to have to make a decision, and in fact, I think he's going to tell us what that decision is any minute now. he's supposed well, to come on with a major speech. Yeah.
3: Uh, By the way, speaking of major speeches, yeah. uh, Donald Trump was supposed to make one uh, tomorrow. He, he postponed that. Last right. week, we were on the show. Uh, you and Sergio were sort of trying to predict what it was that Donald Trump was going to say in his speech. Uh, why, why now do you think uh, he's postponed a January 6th speech?
2: Uh, the, a couple of things. The, the Hannity um, hmm. reveal put him in an awkward position. Hmm. Plus, all the mainstream media people were saying we're not covering it because he's just going to tell the same old tired lies that he's been telling. So there's no news there. They they said we'll have a reporter there, and if he says something, he hasn't said this actual news, we will report it, but we're we're not doing it live. Hmm. And so um, now he's decided, oh, (laughs) well, if I can't lie to him live, then what I'll do is hold a rally and lie to them at the rally. So they're going to have to wait on hearing the same old lies over and over again.
3: All right, let's bring on uh, Lee Allen Jones. Uh, that noise you heard in the background, was getting his microphone ready to go. He's ready to rock and roll. Uh, Lee Allen, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. Good afternoon, Monroe. Good afternoon, Ben. Hey, All right, Lee so- Allen.
3: So uh, uh, Lee Allen and Monroe go way back. Uh, they've known each other for quite a while. Uh, since Lee he Allen, was
0: a teenager. Since he was
2: a teenager? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, wow. and he's almost as old as you, too, Ben.
3: Oh, Lord. Monroe Anderson's got jokes today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, all right, now Lee Allen Jones, uh, commentator, writer. And the political activist at one time it worked for Bobby uh, Rush. We'll get to Bobby Rush uh, in a little while. A Green Party candidate for Senate back in the year 2010. Could have voted for him, ladies and gentlemen. I believe he got 4% of the vote in the general election. Uh, a little bit so less some, than
0: that, but a little bit a little, less.
3: Well, rounding up, okay? Yeah, well, uh, thanks. Rounding up, okay? And um, so Lee Allen, you heard Monroe uh Monroe is saying essentially that the Republicans are going to try to continue their efforts uh to have a coup and declare as invalid uh, Joe Biden's victory uh, in the 2020 presidential election and declare Donald Trump the winner. And that's what this resistance to the investigation, the congressional investigation is all about. Uh That's what they're attempting to do by running out the clock on that investigation in the hopes that They'll win the midterms, if steal it if they have to, uh, and then turn, uh, turn right around and investigate the Democrats. Do you share Monroe's sense of uh, gloom and doom uh, 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 with regards to the Republican Party?
0: Well, you got to think of where Monroe's career began. You know, he got hit in the head down there at the Democratic Convention <laughs> in the late 60s. Right. So I think this will be a continuation of that assessment. And I'd have to support him in that based upon his journalistic experience and integrity.
3: So in other words, we got hit in the head, it set him right, is what you're saying.
0: They set him uh, right. He can
3: smell out a conspiracy. Do you think they're going to get away with it?
0: I don't, you don't, I mean, you got to think about it. They have the Supreme Court. Um, I mean, they have, they have the, the court. They have their justices uh, there. Uh, you know, public sentiment is really going to be there. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, in the market right now, when you look at the fact of people's financial security, you got COVID. You have all of the things to kind of exacerbate a crisis now. And Monroe's political scenario kind of fits in line with the sports surf, uh you know, approach of conservative Republicans as the country uh, becomes more, uh, you know, more liberal and more democratic. And knowing that, you know, those institutions that cannot really sustain within that Natural growth and progression of the country are going to do whatever they have to do and can't trying to maintain the status quo
3: um, Monroe, I hadn't thought about the Supreme Court and the role they may play uh, in all this is before now they have have they I, I was a little uh, pessimistic, Monroe. you remember this. I thought the the Supremes would rule on, on Trump's side when it came to election issues uh, before January 6th. and they didn't second. Uh, his attempts is, uh, I mean, they were so obviously bogus, but they felt compelled to main, so maintain some semblance of integrity. And so they didn't join the Trump crusade.
2: Yeah, they're, 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 yeah no, their mission, I believe, is to kill Roe versus Wade. Yeah. And they don't want anything to get in the way of that. And so if they had backed Trump, then it would have been okay these guys are a joke you know it's, it's nothing it's nothing balanced about what they're doing and so they're they're judiciously being um judges on a lot of issues so that they can do what they were sent there to do that's that's that's, that's my take on it yeah
3: uh, they will overturn. But you know what? I have to ask Lee Allen this before we get to Bobby Rush. Uh, Monroe raises uh, Roe, uh, the issue of Roe versus Wade, and this is uh, this is my um, I got a bone to pick with uh, libertarians, uh, Lee Allen. I never see Lee, uh, any libertarian standing up for a woman's right to choose. I'm thinking. I of support all-
0: a I support women's right
3: to choose. Okay, one. I see one. You. I don't. Rand Paul, his daddy. I didn't see any of them on the front lines uh, in the in the fight for a woman's right to choose. And you would think that would be a libertarian crusading cause. They use their rhetoric in their anti-vax uh, campaigns. They t- they just literally stole from uh, ab- abortion supporters with their rhetoric. It's like our body, our choice, that kind of thing. But they're nowhere to be found. When it comes to in fact, I didn't I thought they were missing an action in the war against the war on drugs, actually, in my opinion. So what is it about libertarians? Not yourself. I mean, obviously, uh, you're not a, a Rand Paul libertarian. But Why are they just merely uh, tools of the Republican Party?
0: I think it's all reactionary on both sides. When you look at the left and then when you look at the right, they become very um, they become very intractable on fringe issues that their philosophies really have already defined what their logic should be in terms of public policy. And so that's, you know, that's why we're in this state that we're in politically right now, because we just we don't really have sensible leadership that really takes into account what we truly believe in. So, I mean, for me, being a Green, looking at Libertarian is really saying I don't want to be a part of status quo politics because there's really no growth in status quo politics right now. It's just very intractable. And that sort of leads in, you know, to, you know, Congressman Rush and what his choice was uh, to step step away. Uh, you know, I think if we look at, you know, Congressman Rush's political history, I mean, he's been very fortunate on his timing. I mean, he's been a survivor of politics. I mean, going back to you know, going to the sixties, he's a political survivor. So for him to kind of bow out at this point and being in leadership, I mean he's he hasn't been in leadership a substantial amount of his career, the Republicans control the house. You know, we don't, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, not Mitch McConnell, but, um, what was the guy before him in the house? Uh, Newt Gingrich. You got to think the Republicans, you know, they had a significant amount of uh, influence on public policy in the house when Congressman Rush was there and considering, you know, what came out during that period. I mean, he supported, uh, if you go back and look at his history, one of the first pieces of legislation he supported was conflict resolution in 1992. Uh, When we look at what was happening, you know, going on across the country when we came to crime reform by 1994 and looking at where we're at in 2022 in Chicago with homicide levels that have reached back over that span. And then looking at him uh, stepping aside now and then looking at just the the political demographics that are beyond repair, I think, in the African-American community is really foreboding. And even his commentary uh, yesterday was foreboding about what he felt politically.
3: All right, uh, we'll make the transition to Bobby Rush, and uh, before we uh, pick up on your uh, themes that you just articulated, Lee Allen, uh, Monroe, I got to turn to you. Uh, you've known Bobby Rush for a long time, Monroe yes. Anderson. Yes, uh, and uh, thirty some years. Thirty some. Wow. Mm. And he says I'm old. Uh, so uh, Monroe, talk up a little bit about it, what you perceive uh, as Bobby Rush's legacy and contribution. Uh, to Chicago politics, when I just mentioned Bobby Rush, I have a flood of memories. I was telling Lee Allen this uh, when we briefly talked before the show. I have a flood of memories that uh, it just instantly come up. Uh, but for you, uh, what do you, what do you think about Bobby Rush uh, when you think about his career? Well,
2: you know, Bobby Rush is a friend of mine. Um, we've not agreed on all things. For example, when I was Mayor Sawyer's press secretary. Rush was one of his adversaries at that time, along with Dorothy Tillman and Tim Evans. Uh, but um, we have been friends. Um, most of the things he's done politically I've agreed with, not all. For example, I have, I have never asked him about this, but I will one day. His backing daily for the mayor's race. The last time out, I, I mean that just seems so bizarre to I me. Mean, I didn't understand that at all, you know. So, but then I, I, it's no big deal, you know. I, I sometimes disagree with myself, so so you know it's not like I I, I everything everybody does who I have an a, an association with or that we're in agreement with at all. You know, when Lee Allen ran as a, 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 a on the green ticket, I, I was trying to figure out why was he doing that you know and i asked him that uh simply because i didn't think it was a good idea i I would not have made that advice to do that but that was his choice and it it did it did no damage to our relationship whatsoever it wasn't like i said okay you're doing this so (laughs) anyway (laughs) back, back to bobby um a lot of his politics very good and he he's committed to most of it. Um, my study of, because I've done, as you know, I'm writing this chapter on Sawyer, and I've been doing research, and one of the things I have noticed during my research is that while Bobby and, and Tillman and Evans were all against Sawyer, um, after Sawyer lost and Daly came into office, then they saw the light, and, they, and, they, and suddenly they weren't as adversarial as they had been, uh, mainly because, uh, for example, with Bobby uh, Madigan, gave him some some positions. He made him a downstate um, representative to the legislature for something. You know, so basically, they bought him off without handing him a brown a money in a brown paper sack. <laughs> they they figured out a more sophisticated way to do it.
3: Uh, well, Lee Allen has a very interesting theory uh, that he shared with me briefly before we went on the Air Monroe as to why uh, Bobby Rush uh, endorsed William Daly. So, William Daly, one for our listeners, our younger listeners, uh, is the younger brother of Richard M. Daly, who was the mayor of the city of Chicago from the, in the 90s, uh, in the O's, before Rahm Emanuel. I always feel compelled to just say this stuff because who knows what people really know. And of course, William Daly is the son of uh, Richard J. Daley, uh, who was mayor of the city of Chicago before Lee Allen was born uh, in, throughout the 60s uh, the, and into the 70s. Uh, the powerful Daley family. I must confess, I never voted for a Daley. I was stunned when uh, Bobby Rush endorsed William Daley, uh, a millionaire banker. Uh, and uh, Lee Allen, you have your theory as to why Bobby Rush uh, who was uh, uh, in the Black Panther Party in the 60s uh, and owes his political career to Harold Washington. Why Bobby Rush endorsed William Daly in 2019. Deliver that theory, please.
0: First of all, I would say in Chicago politics, and I think when you look at uh, that election and knowing the relationship that Bobby had with, uh, or Congressman Rush had with Rahm Emanuel, that relationship was significant. And I think when you look at his support of William Daley, it kind of extended from that when you look at the fact that William Daley was a high-ranking official, I want to say, within uh, the Clinton administration and the Obama administration. And so, you know, based upon that D.C. relationship and then looking at what the constituency that really supports Bobby, which are a lot of the black preachers. And so the black preachers, you know, did very well under the Daley administration. And they had been really, you know, a lot of them that had a lot of support for Daly found themselves on, you know, not necessarily at the top of the food chain during the Emmanuel administration. Uh, so, you know, that relationship, uh, w- was, was kind of natural politically, even though if it may not have been natural historically, is that that constituency group, you know, that felt itself marginalized for the, uh, the two terms of Rahm Emanuel. They wanted to get back in and and looking at the resources that came from the Obama administration and having the federal government. And then, you know, the fact that they didn't really get what they thought out of Rauner and the melee that happened after that, uh, you know, that constituency group, you know, and and Congressman Rush would have to look at that constituency group's interest, which is significant within his district, and kind of go with what that consensus was and not going with the emotion since. There was really no consensus candidate that it emerged from the African-American community. And that candidate would have, you know, I think Kara mosley Braun had ran the first time. She failed. Uh, you didn't really have anybody with a significant background that came in. They, you know, they didn't really want to support Tony because she had already had her status quo operation going on. But so they were kind of forced to look at who they had had relationships before and that relationship. Uh, between the Daly family and the black clergy of Chicago go back very far. You got to remember the black clergy supported, you know, the the father against Martin Luther King when he came, you know, to support fair housing. So that, that would be nothing new.
3: That uh, is a sobering thought uh, that Lee Allen just made uh, Monroe, but it's absolutely true. Martin Luther King brought his campaign uh, to end poverty uh, to the city of Chicago in 1966 And then he had open housing marches. Uh, And Leon, you're absolutely correct. Some of the most prominent black uh, ministers in the city of Chicago stood with Daley, Richard J. Daley, in the midst of that.
2: Yeah. Well, there's this one black minister, um, forgetting his name now, but he had a church on um, what's now King Drive.
3: Yeah, Jackson. Yeah, Jackson.
2: Jackson. Right, exactly. And he changed the address of the church with his name King Drive. Right.
3: And took the side street. Yes address instead that's pretty deep that's right. pretty deep he did right. not want to have his his uh address be on king drive that's right. just really deep and this is after martin luther king was killed leon right. jones this, right. is after, this is after the assassination that's when they named they, there was no way Danny was going to name a street for martin luther king while he was alive you know but when he was dead they they uh, they looked for the one street they had to find a street in the city of Chicago that did not go where white people lived.
2: Right now, uh, God, who was that uh, uh, Chris uh, Chris Chris? I think said that if you go to any city, you go to if you see Martin Luther King drive, run.
3: <laughs> right, I think right. That, uh, Chris Rock, yeah, uh, you quoted Chris Rock. Uh, so uh, Lee Allen, uh, I I get what you're saying. I don't know. I don't think it would have really uh, meant much as uh, a benefit uh, for your average black uh, resident in the city of Chicago. And when I I think about Bobby Rush uh, stepping down, uh, Lee Allen uh, and Monroe, I think it's the last tie to Harold Washington. I mean, Danny K. Davis uh, still a congressman from the seventh congressional district, but he was in the city council before Harold ran for uh, was elected mayor in '83. And uh, Bobby Rush owes his career to Harold Washington. And with him leaving, that's it. The Har- they've uh, effectively killed the Harold Washington movement and the Harold Washington legacy, and they intended to do that, as Monroe pointed out, uh, from the moment that uh, Eugene Sawyer was put into office and there was a fight among black leaders that Monroe has talked about in the show many times, and many of them uh, on the uh Bobby Rush included, would probably admit that they made a big mistake.
2: Yeah, no, he and does. And so
3: ferociously, he does, he does admit that, right, Monroe? Yeah, he does. He's, he's, he said that to me. And so
2: I
0: would Conrad, disagree that,
3: go ahead, go ahead, take it away, go.
0: I would disagree. I think that the Harold Washington legacy, if you look at it in a wider lens, really is as robust as it's ever been. It's just not within the African-American community. It would be with Luis Gutierrez. It would be with Chewy Garcia. Uh, not Chewy, uh, yeah, Chewy, yeah, it would be with Chewy. They are the real legacy right now of Harold Washington, and you can see them being very effective in doing that in very quiet ways, in very methodical ways, in very strategic ways. And so Bobby Rush would be the conclusion on the African-American side, but when you look at the multicultural aspect, it is thriving within, uh, you know, with Chewy and with uh, uh, Luis Gutierrez. And so they are really setting up immigration policy. I think I was listening today. There's going to be a, a, the first person of color is going to be over the census now. A Latino, I think I just saw I heard that on uh, the radio today. So they set themselves up very well for 2030. And, and really, you know, having started that movement uh, with that multicultural, uh, multicultural coalition, it started under Harold
3: uh, that's a good point. Uh, Chewy Garcia Almost his political career to Harold Washington. Harold gave him a job back in 1984, I want to say, in the water department, uh, and that he, he used that job uh, to find some security for his family and so he could launch his political career. So that is a good point, Lee Allen. Uh, Monroe, do you share Lee Allen's optimism that the legacy of Harold Washington uh, lives on, or do you share my gloom uh, that the dailies of the world uh, and the Marama manuals of the world uh, successfully conspired uh, to destroy that movement.
2: They've they've had a, a detrimental impact on the black community in Chicago, but Harold's legacy lives on throughout the United States. I mean, if you look and see how many black mayors there are now, and it was um, Harold was a huge influence on that. On on, on on that and his approach to politics, taking it out of the uh, Chicago um, machine arena and making it about community groups and and um, and power to the people if, if you will, try, 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 trying to represent all folks. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that approach, you you've had black mayors in places where there were no there were very few black people, like Seattle and Denver. You know where blacks weren't close to being a, a majority. So and um, Obama, you know, we got a president out of that. So now Harold's legacy is not dead. It's just um, the Chicago black community. Chicago's black community. Um, after his death, uh, just got they were divided. they got divided, and um, maybe they're back together, I'm not sure. 30 years're not back together.
0: They're not back together. I think that what what happened is there's really not been a lot of equity in the history of black politics. You know there, even you know it's like even right now, what's kind of startling is that the people that really were successful through black politics, and the people that were able to aggregate wealth uh, from the political process, I mean, the guys that did real estate, the the Higginbottoms, the the John Rogers, you know, you know, were able to be within the 1% of the Chicago political spectrum, I think are really clueless. And I think every election cycle since Harold has been diluted with this false sense of strategy. And that false sense of strategy is what's, uh, you know, destroy, you know, probably, uh, you know, an 80 to 90 year political legacy if you go back to Oscar DePriest uh, when he was able to first get the seat, you know, in the first congressional district and looking at where it's at now. I mean, Congressman Rush even intimated yesterday uh, within his, you know, within the summation of his career is that, you know, you know we have more African-American elected officials uh, in the history of the country and, you know, we're going south of that assessment. It doesn't mean anything. Look at Good County. Uh, look at the state. You have, you know, You have all of these people in leadership positions, but you have rampant crime. You have carjacking. You have threats to public safety. You have uh, yeah. Wait, but you can't, you can't
2: blame that, Lee Allen. You can't blame that on, on the politicians. Um, I, wh- what I see is the problem with the crime rate uh, range we have going on now is uh, the pandemic. And um, a lot of the jobs that criminals could do have, have been dissipated. For example, um, when, back in the days when there were numbers runners and people made a living off of that, the lottery took that over. Um, now we have um, legal marijuana. And so you don't don't have as many kids that you can't just go out on the street corners and make a living that way. So uh, what's the person to do? So you start carjacking
0: and just. Can I, can I, can I I, I respond? I I would say that to the Messiah complex in, in, in black politics is really what's in question here. So when you say that you don't blame the politician, I have to disagree because they put themselves in these positions as leaders, right, with deficient leadership skills. Because anyone that's in leadership, like what you just said in a nutshell, Monroe, is saying automation. We've been talking about automation since the turn of the century, yeah. in terms of before there were cars, before there were engines. We've been talking uh, economies do this, right? Economies get efficient over time. And I think that the leadership in the African-American community comes from a position of messiahism as opposed to strategy and people that understand industry and people that are looking at how industry affects society but if, like for instance you know the biggest issue that's driving crime right now has been this splurge in social media you know essentially based on how we're communicating right now you know the chicago public schools is really a jobs program based upon chicago politics All the institutions of Chicago that the African-American community runs have become jobs programs, meaning they're not resilient to real market activity. That's where the suffering comes from. And it happens across the country because we're emotionally tied to our politics and emotions don't do well when you're trying to deal with market reality. And so, you know, that's how you get a generation this started under the Harold Washington administration and had you know exposure to being managers of institutions, and you can't see where the resiliency of those institutions stabilized the communities where they were supposed to administrate at. It's like everything is political and nothing can be challenged administrative. And therefore, when we look at these people, we have to look at the administrative issue. Like I, I mentioned to you, Ben, I mean, if you look at the plan for transformation. Uh, that came out of the daily administration and Renaissance 2020, those are probably, I would say conservatively, $5 billion to $15 billion of wasted public policy. And nobody's going to be held accountable. I, the
3: uh, plan for transformation that Lee Allen's uh, alluded to is the plan uh, that was hatched in the mid nineties with the clintons and uh daily to tear down uh, the uh high-rise uh cha complexes in the city of chicago uh, and supposedly replace them with affordable low-rise uh housing for the residents who were displaced of course that didn't happen we talked about that a couple weeks ago at length about cabrini green we dedicated a couple shows to that one lee allen jones uh, so it didn't really happen. So essentially what it was was uh, an updated version of urban renewal or what uh, Monroe has uh, called on this show a uh, Negro removal, which is what it was called in the 1960s. Uh, <laughs> that's the and, big Gregory of it. Yes. Uh, Monroe, I got to give him credit for that one. Uh, and um, But that's exactly what it was. You know, they promised uh, to replacement housing. The replacement housing didn't come. And you took it one step further, Lee Allen, Uh, You took it one step further, one step beyond just moving black people out of the city of Chicago. Uh, You said it's has directly resulted in the crime we see today. Expound upon that, please.
0: I mean, you're looking at, like Monroe said, if the Harold Washington legacy has gone national and its influence, you know, based upon Chicago, then look at where the crime has gone. When you looked at the spill out of Chicago public housing, you have residents from Chicago that spilled out across the country. I think when you look at the fact of what happened in Atlanta, right? You know, Chicago people left, you know, Illinois, right, where they were being kind of, you know, marginalized politically. You go to places like Georgia, and you find opportunities and, and opportunities to thrive uh, in places like Atlanta. That's what allowed you to get. Uh, the, 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 the push from urban, you know, Atlanta Metro to get Warnock and Ossoff, you know, those Senate candidates that won, uh, you know, that's really giving, uh, what's her name, Stacey, um, what's Abrams. her name, the lady, Stacey Abrams, and giving her the push is that those people that are coming from those northern cities and coming down south, but also Chicago gang culture is down there, right? You have Chicago gang culture, you have Gangster Disciples now in New York City. You have gangster disciples that are in all parts of the United States and Chicago gangs. Chicago drill music culture is across the country. And this was incubated under the Obama administration. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you look at the confluence of the issues that are going on nationally, a lot of that has started in Chicago. I mean, we forget the Democratic National Party had their, con- their national party here in '96. You know, what happened from 96 until now, right? We got a black president out of it. You know, a a wealthy black president, the first black family. What has any of that meant? University of Chicago has $11 billion in its endowment. What does that mean? You You know, what does all of this mean? Valerie Jarrett, she was, you know, central within that plan for transformation. Where's the accountability, right? Nobody wants to be held accountable, and we just keep politicking. I mean, when you look at Congressman Rush's statement yesterday, he said you can own uh, public service, but you can't own public office. Very intriguing when you look at the fact that there's no longer a Mike Madigan, right? You know, there's no more Frank Zuccarelli, you know, and I don't think that the people that want to be put in these positions are any better than the people that were there. In fact, I think they're going to be worse as public administrators because they don't have real models of being administrators. They have their these are people that protect their tribes. And that's why when you get to positions where we, we have this transition in leadership, you don't have real leaders or credible leaders at the table. You just have people that are part of political tribes.
3: Frank Sicarelli that Lee Allen Jones uh, alluded to was the longstanding powerhouse in the south suburbs, head of Thornton Township, uh, who passed away right around New Year's, I want to say. Uh, he was an old fashioned Democrat like boss, and uh, 70 years old. I believe he was Lee Allen when he died. Uh, Not too long ago. Monroe, your thoughts uh, on what Lee Allen has to say about the impact of tearing down the projects with the plans for transformation on uh, black political power in the city of Chicago.
2: When I covered Harold for the Tribune, um, Bill Ware, who was Harold's chief of staff, told me that Chicago was the only city in the world where they had poor people living on prime... Uh, uh, real estate. By that I mean they had the public housing projects along Lake Michigan. Robert Taylor Home, um, Cabrini Green was literally seven eighths of a mile away from the Gold Coast. And Ware told me that um, no black mayor could ever change that for obvious reasons. Well, we lost to Daly, and Daly said about changing it. He said about turning Chicago into Paris. Uh, I went to Paris in, in ninety seven or something like that, back, way back when, and the thing I noticed about Paris is that it was v- the city itself was very middle-class and wealthy and that the poor people lived in the suburbs that ringed to Paris. And that's been what's been happening here in Chicago. G- Gary, where I grew up, um, has inherited some people from Chicago's ghettos. Um, other, the other, there are other black suburbs around where, and, and as Lee Allen said, people have gone to Atlanta, et cetera. Yeah. So the the, the, the the black leaders have nothing to do with that because they don't have, they haven't had power over That's the money people.
3: Uh, 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 Absolutely. That was the plan. I've said it all along. And the first step was to uh, make sure that we never have another Harold Washington. And uh, by that, I mean a powerful black politician who is elected virtually uh, as a result of 99%, 97% of black voters voting for him. And that was what uh, the daily years was all about, chipping away at black political power uh, to effectively promote the programs that you're talking about. We don't talk about that in the city of Chicago, Lee Allen Jones. Uh, it's always swept under the rug. I remember Chris Kennedy, who ran for governor a couple years ago, went off the reservation. I don't know who put this idea in his head, but he said that there was a plan, that Rahm Emanuel's planning department had a plan uh, to remove black people from the city of Chicago. And, oh, my goodness, you would have thought the man said that what? That uh, the uh, Lake Michigan is actually an ocean. You know what I'm saying? That He said something so preposterous and outrageous you couldn't believe it. Everybody criticized him in mainstream Chicago media and uh, all that. Oh, how dare you say that? That's an outrage. They're all in cahoots.
0: Yeah, they but, are. Like, but, listen, oh. but to to to, to, <laughs> to retort, didn't wasn't Congressman Russia? So didn't he support Chris Kennedy? Did yeah, support, maybe. He, it maybe yeah, Congressman Russia, Russia, Russia put that notion and in his and head. I, and I, I want to believe that. I want to believe that Amara India at that point was advising him as well. So I think that would have come from that discussion. Uh, yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't give. I got to realize. You know, I'm a libertarian and I'm a capitalist right? I don't really, I don't want to give the black politician a pat. I think it's, it's absurd to think that you don't bring that squarely to the African-American politician. Because when you look at it, they are the principal leadership structure. They are the hierarchy of politics. It's like being a parent. You can't say that the parent was a good parent if their kids were starving. I mean, if, if DCFS evaluated parents that administrated, like you're giving the politicians the password, that would be abuse and neglect. And they have been derelict in their responsibility. They, I mean, I don't want to make it personal, but their output and the sources of that lack of output is, is, is up for debate. It's up for debate. They, have, they, 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 they invested in nothing and they got nothing. And okay. and so, and, and that's what it is. I don't, I mean, the, the power structure is what the power structure is. We've known that since reconstruction. We've known that. That's what created the Oscar de Priestism. All
3: right. I, I just have to say this about uh, uh, free markets and libertarianism. And I, I feel if I say this, we'll go down a rabbit hole, Lee Allen. And, uh, but I just have to say this. There are no such things as free markets.
0: No, I, don't think, I, don't, I wouldn't disagree with you. I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't disagree with you, Ben, and I wouldn't want to get into this deep philosophical debate. When I say that, it's like I love developing student-athletes and coaching athletes. That's almost like watching a football game and the offense taking the ball and running in the opposite direction when you try to look at that and frame it within how you're looking at the political context. You're saying that you accept mediocrity in leadership when you say that the African-American politician – in the last 30 to 40 years in Chicago, couldn't have done a better job. Gang leadership in Chicago has been more resilient than the African-American politician. Wow,
3: Monroe, you buy that?
2: Uh, I, no, I, I,
0: well, what else can you say? The gang leadership is more resilient and more entrenched in the third generation in Chicago than three generations of black Chicago politics.
2: No, wow. the, the reason, no, no, Leon, the reason that we have all the shootings going on is there is no gang leadership, because they would control is that. Opinion. It's it, it's not good for business to have these kids killing each other, and so if they were in control, they could they could discipline them where they They're were killing each other crazy.
0: on social well, media. I said, what I would say is when I say resilience, yeah. When I started doing, yes, it has fractionalized. It is now more tribalism than it's right. ever been, right? right? This, yes. But this was created, let's go back. This all was created by public policy. This was the Crime Reform Bill of 1994 yeah, no, and 1995. So let's not act as if the public policy isn't attached to the public safety issue.
2: Yeah, got I mean, you got know, that, that was an unintended consequence. But for sure. But who was at the table?
0: Yeah. If it was an unintended consequence, you couldn't go and manage the pension fund. Yes, maybe you could if you were a daily relative. But if you manage, your portfolio, Monroe, is much more managed than what you're talking about. You wouldn't have that prime real estate you have with that same logic you have at Lincoln Park. You were a visionary. You were a pioneer based on free market principles, Monroe. You did better as a manager of your real estate than just about 95% of any politician that's your contemporary right now.
3: By the way, knowing a little bit about uh, Monroe's uh, fiduciary brilliance, I would have to agree with that one, Lee Allen Jones. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Uh,
2: That's because it was like a mom and pop operation,
0: not not a corporate. (laughs) But my point is, is what you're saying is you made a decentralized decision based upon your assessment. What politician can say they took a mom and Austin. Political royalty in Chicago. 34th War may be eliminated this political cycle. These were the people in the 34th War that were at the top of the political food chain in Chicago politics. The top of the political food chain is in the 34th War. They were the deer. They may even have been more advanced than the Eighth War, right? They're done politically. We don't we don't want let's live that they're done. The legacy of the 34th war will be done in this remap. When you look at what's going on right now with uh, Pat Dow, the third ward in the fourth war will be done. Mm. This, that's if not this cycle by 2030. You don't even have any. You don't have one African-American leader right now that has a 2030 discussion.
3: What do you mean 2030 discussion?
0: Well, 20, the, the decade, look at what's going on in 2020. You've had almost what, a quarter of a million people, black people have left Chicago, right? You don't, you don't have anybody having a discussion saying, what's going to happen when you look at the most, uh, the most loyal voters in Chicago are the people that are the most vulnerable to COVID. They may not even be here in a decade when we look at the, all of the challenges that exist within our society, within the local political structure. Well, and so Winkle
3: is what, like 80? Yeah. Not, not yet, but I get your point. She's close. Uh, you're you're right. You're right. Nobody's thinking ahead of 2030. And the and the point about COVID ties into what we began I began my conversation with the how do I put this? The dereliction of duty on the part of the leaders of the city of Chicago to protecting uh, the people who go to Chicago public schools from COVID? And the uh, their outrage, when you got the health commissioner. I, I just shake my head, Lee Allen and, and Monroe, the health commissioner, the chief health officer of the city of Chicago is getting up and acting as a political patron for Lori Lightfoot in terms of, I, I mean, uh, you know, they're sending out. Con- unbelievably conflicting mixed messages about what we the citizens should be doing as a practical way to protect ourselves
0: from the spread of COVID and it's Orwellian it's Orwellian leadership yeah that is absolutely- it's Orwellian leadership when you this is, this, this is the issue we want to really talk about this political thing Lori Lightfoot is, a, is representation of this messiah complex that we have inculcated local politics with, that these non-political anomalies represent leadership. No, it's just a political anomaly. That's all that it is. Her leadership, and I wrote about this in The Nation, Lori Lightfoot was resilient politically when she had an adversary like Donald Trump. When she was able to have somebody to fight against and to tweet against, she looked like a resilient leader. But now that you don't have a Trump and you have to devise a strategy and plan with vision, she's failed. And not only has she failed, she's brought leadership in that has no real world experience politically. She's like a startup company and a legacy company. And this is when you create failure. She's not an executive. She is only really her Chicago and really hurt it in a way where you have to look at really substantial change in leadership. You don't have the political institutions going into these next political cycles. You don't even have a Leon Finney anymore. You understand? And Leon Finney, no matter what you want to say about Leon Finney, he was a great political organizer. Now, what was the things that were organized? But he was a political organizer. You now have an era of political opportunism at a very desperate point politically.
3: All right. Uh, Monroe, do you want to comment on what he had to say about Lori Lightfoot? No. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. Very disappointed about uh, how Lori Lightfoot is handling uh, the the situation with the public schools with COVID to the point you're making, Lee Allen. Very disappointed. Oh, yeah, no, about that's
2: that. not a good job. Well, again, though, but as I pointed out earlier in this this session, I. It's a complicated problem in that the kids need to be in school.
0: And I, I, nobody I,
3: I, nobody is saying close the schools. Yeah. What I'm saying is as mayor of the city of Chicago, I don't care about what they're doing in Atlanta, L.A., New York, et cetera. You're the mayor of the city of Chicago. It's the, the singular office in the city that traditionally we've looked up to as the person who runs Chicago. You should guarantee that it's as safe as it possibly can be at the very least you should make it as safe as the united center you should have the same protocols in place that they have to protect people go to bulls and blackhawk games there should be like rigid mask wearing requirements and good masks that everybody has and a plentiful supply of them at the door. So if a kid doesn't bring his mask, Lee Allen Jones, you know, as well as I do, some kids will just forget to bring their masks. Any kid could forget to put it in his backpack at the door. A, ha- a fresh mask for the kid to wear.
0: You know yeah, what i mean? I go back? Could I bring something up? I want to just go through like a, a, remember the money that government, Governor Prisker put in down at, uh, what was that? A McCormick place. How much yes. money did he spend doing that? I forget. Because it was, it was like millions
3: that. of dollars. Yeah.
0: It, it, was, it was significant money. Yes. Okay. They have, get, CPS was talking about taking COVID relief money to pay down the debt. Remember yes. that? Yeah. Absolutely. Like that pay we talked attention. about that. Yes. So this is the issue that CPS has. They have more resources than they have strategy for. Yeah. That's not what the, they have more resource and they're making it a political issue when it's really an administrative issue. If you get the people that are, that are administrating education in CPS, if they get sick, right? Who's there to even administrate online and remote learning? A-
3: absolutely. So and, and, the
0: question here is CPS is a jobs program. And when you have people that have jobs and not skill sets, you make a political issue. Something it's not political. It's administrative. They don't have a plan. Yeah. They don't have a plan. So the more they can fight with CTU in absence of producing a plan with ample resources, they don't have a resource issue; they have a strategy I, issue.
3: I, I, I hear you. Like, for instance, they bought all those computers.
0: <laughs> they
3: bought all those computers just in case they would need them for uh, virtual learning, and they haven't passed them out yet. You're absolutely correct. And we were talking about this where they they gave they had money for tests. They passed out. They got the test to the kids. The parents dutifully had their kids tested, and then they had no system to like, measure the tests. And uh, see who had a negative test and who had a positive test. So in the end, it was a waste. You're absolutely correct. I can't. And by the way, this breaking news, uh, the Grammy Awards were postponed for the second year in a row because of the pandemic. A new date is expected soon. And I'm saying that it's just so funny. All around us, we see evidence that we're in a serious crisis at the moment. It could pass. Monroe and I have been talking about COVID for two years now, Lee Allen. So I know there's peaks and valleys, but this is where we are right now.
0: And yet you got GPS the health commissioner. CPS has no strategy, yeah. and they have hundreds of millions of dollars. And that goes to what we said about the failure of leadership. You can't have a billion dollars to deal with an issue and have no strategy, no plan. Pat Dow, who's on the budget committee for the city council, she's announcing she wants to run. For the congressional seat when there should be an audit right now of the money that CPS has spent on a program that we're still dealing with. I mean, these are not, this is, this is almost like as bad as, the, as, the, as the, the money we spent in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. The loss and waste and fraud and abuse with these big government programs, and here we have a crisis commingled with it. All a right. a real world crisis and you have all the resources and no administrative resilience within the city of Chicago's African-American leadership. All
3: right. You mentioned Pat Dow. She of course is the older woman of the, the uh, third ward and has been. So I want to say since 2007 when she defeated Dorothy Tillman and uh, she was running for secretary of state to replace Jesse White, uh, who is uh, stepping down. Uh, she can Dropped out of that uh, Secretary of State race uh, to announce uh, today, before we came on the air, uh, that she would be running for uh, Bobby Rush's seat, uh, and the Sun Times has has heralded her as the front runner uh, because uh, she already has a campaign in place that, for her Secretary of State campaign, she'll transform uh, to transfer over to a congressional uh, campaign. So it's already heating up. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you, who do you think? Would be uh, are they going to be the front runners or who would you like to see uh, in this race? I'm going to start with Lee Allen because he blew my mind with a suggestion that I hadn't thought of uh, a frequent guest on the Ben Jarovsky show. Uh, he suggested that a she, it's a she uh, run for Congress. So Lee Allen uh, share with the listeners your suggestion who do you think would be an interesting to put it mildly candidate to replace Bobby Rush in the 1st Congressional District?
0: It will be Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, from Vice President of Chicago Teachership. I think she's demonstrated uh, the political chops to go to the next level. And I would love to see her in Congress to be someone uh, to work side-by-side with Speaker Pelosi. I could see her being someone that could be a more articulate version of what you see within the squad with uh, Representative Ohan uh, Ohan Milhar, with uh, 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 Representative Presley, uh, uh, and and uh, Representative uh, AOC, uh, I think she would be someone I would like to see working with, you know, Uh, uh She's, you know, she, I, I believe she's a political wolf eater. Uh, and, you know, with her political chops, she comes from uh, the Karen Lewis uh, tree of politics in Chicago. And if we recall, uh, the late Karen Lewis, she was very uh, vocal in going at the political establishment of Rom and Daley. And I, and, I, and I don't think we look at the politics of Karen Lewis and really look at her legacy serious enough to know what she represented had we really been behind her and supported her when she began to go with the status quo politics of Chicago. And so for that reason, I think Stacey Davis Gates uh, is beyond prepared to go to Washington, D.C. and advocate on behalf of the first congressional district.
3: Uh, but yeah, just a quick correction. Tulsi Gabbard has retired from Congress. She's no longer okay. in Congress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, as Stacey Davis Gates, I'm a big fan of her. Everybody knows that. Uh, she's one of the most strategic thinkers, political thinkers I know in the city of Chicago. And um, she's very passionate. Uh, and she learned a lot from Karen Lewis, the great Karen Lewis. Uh, one of my heroes right up there with Harold. So you you kind of caught me off guard with that one, Lee Allen. I, people have been telling me, oh, Stacey Davis-Gates, SDG, your girl, I always call her, she's going to run for mayor. You watch, she's going to run for mayor. And I always thought of her running for mayor, uh, but a congressional candidate. That was Harold. Don't everybody forget. Harold Washington, before he was mayor of the city of Chicago, was the congressman of the first congressional district. Uh, and he gave up that seat uh, to uh, to run for mayor. So you caught me off guard with that. I And,
2: and re, he gave it up reluctantly. He said, that yes, was the greatest he did. Job he, ever had. <laughs> he said they treated him like a king and he didn't have to do
3: much. <laughs> no, but he loved that job, Monroe. Yeah, I mean, he. I he uh he loved that job, and uh, and he was great for Congress. Because I could go on, and I, Harold was a very thoughtful man. He read a lot, you know what I'm saying. And yeah. uh, he he liked his his quiet moments alone from the fray, away from the fray. And uh, yeah, so he did give it away reluctantly after Lou Palmer. Everybody signed up the fifty thousand voters. Monroe, do you um, do you have somebody out there that you think not that you're going to endorse, but that you think would make a, a really strong uh, candidate uh, for to replace Bobby Rush?
2: No, I don't. You haven't know, been cl- following it closely enough. Bobby uh, stepping down caught me off guard. So no, I I, I don't have anything. In fact, I've been um, Merrick Gar- Garland just spoke, and so I was half watching that. And basically what he says is that he denounced election fraud and he said they're going to follow the evidence wherever it goes on January 6th. And he he did not. So it sounds like um, he he, the Department of Justice is going to make it a criminal case and go after Trump. He didn't say that, but that's that sounds like where it's going.
3: Well, we are going to close the show where we began it then. Uh, Lee Allen, we began the show with the discussion of the fact that this is roughly one year out uh, since the January 6th insurrection, which occurred on a Wednesday. And so I Monroe and I were having our conversation and he was once again, he had that TV on. He always have his MSNBC on in the background. Uh, And uh, he was like, oh, my God, Ben, you won't believe what I'm seeing here. And uh, so if if Merrick Garland, uh, the attorney general of the United States, follows up on that one, uh, Monroe, then. We may have even with Republicans taking over congress uh we may have a, a step toward justice on this because uh I believe with the absence of that investigation the plan is as we started at the out uh, uh, at we stated at the outset uh, to run out the clock and bury this yeah,
2: well with with this they may not take over. Congress as planned now, because with this uh, January 6th hearings out of the committee that will be taking place, and and, uh, I think it's going to be in prime time. I think they're going to get it in prime time. It's it's going to be explosive. It's going to it's going to be because there were several Republican congressmen involved in this, and this was literally. A plan to take over the government. It wasn't like any bumbling through, or people got so passionate at the last minute. I mean, this was an attempted coup. And the only complication with this is that um, if you do indict Trump, mm-hmm. if he is indicted, you've got to convict him. You know, he was impeached twice, and it only made him stronger. So, as the, um, you know, the old saying goes, if you go for the king, you must kill him. It <laughs> yeah. has to be a head And I don't know if they have that or not yet.
3: All right. Well, this, uh, we'll be talking about this one for quite a while. And uh, so, Monroe Anderson, thank you again uh, for every Wednesday being on the Ben Jarowski show. And Leala Jones did a great job bringing you back uh, really soon. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did.
0: Likewise. Yeah.
3: All right, that's Lee Allen Jones and Monroe Anderson. I'm Ben Jarofsky. I also want to thank the man, the legend, pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Lee Allen Jones, Monroe Anderson could tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right.